0: Some of the companies I worked for were hiring within a box. So mm. did you have these specific skills? What I love about Google is they're more interested in the, the, the outside the box. I don't think we need to look to the tech billionaires for a great pulse on w- new ways to think about how to build a company, how to build a team. I think we've got a ton of thought leaders right here in Canada. When we look at opportunities to support the planet and to support our healthcare systems are where I get really excited by um, technology as the solution stay excited do something that's energizing you don't be overwhelmed by having you know big goals that's what Mm -hmm. the world needs and so i hope your listeners got a bit of fruitful advice out of our conversation today
1: Welcome back to another episode of the Generation Hustle podcast. I'm your co-host Sherrison, alongside my good friend Amin and this week we're back with another great guest from one of the tech giants. Episode 76 is with Ashley Francisco, Head of Startup Developer Ecosystems for Google Canada. In her role, Ashley manages Google Canada's accelerator programs, scaled startup ecosystem events and Canadian partner engagement. Her goal is to bring the best of Google's people, programs, products and technology to startup teams across the country. Ashley is a professional marketer by trade with a diverse background in local and global brand building at Google, Visa, Mondelez and Kraft Foods. So we sit down to talk to Ashley about her path to tech and ultimately Google. She details how Google's accelerator program is preparing founders of today to be the leaders of tomorrow. She also describes how you can land a job at Google, women empowerment in the tech environment and the future impact of the tech industry. This is a great conversation that we hope you enjoy.
0: Uh,
2: Awesome. So Ashley, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast today. First of all, I'd love to hear maybe an intro of what you do currently at Google, and we'll get into how you got at Google For in sure. a little bit. yeah.
0: Awesome. Yes. So um, my current role is heading up the startup ecosystem efforts across Google Canada. Uh, so what the heck does that mean? Um, really, I, I try to distill my role down to ultimately trying to bring the best of Google's people, products, programs, technology, whatever that may be, um, to startups across the country, to founders and to their teams. So that's kind of what I'm laser focused on any given day.
2: Sweet. And I think it's so important that, you know, large corporations, especially tech companies support a local ecosystem, because one, they have all the kind of resources available to them. But they also have the infrastructure and the knowledge of, google being small from day one and all the experience going up so uh, i i really kind of appreciate you know large companies and tech companies taking initiative and helping the local ecosystem kind of grow so i think it's so critical um and in terms of your personal story how did you first come across google and you know how'd you land that role because i think a lot of people are interested in you know working with google but what's your personal story in terms of uh, getting in uh initially
0: yeah, so I've been at Google about seven years now, um, and prior to my current role, um, I, I joined initially as a brand strategy lead, and so I'll explain what that is in a moment, but um, my background is a bit of a departure from what I do now, so I spent over a decade in brand strategy and client-side marketing, um, and when I came to Google, I was brought in as almost an internal consultant for the sales teams. For Got it kind of meaty, must-win um, client brand opportunities. It was, you know, when you think back to seven years ago, it was really that moment in time where there was um, kind of a sense of urgency from legacy marketing companies to make that pivot to digital without necessarily kind of knowing how to go about doing that. And so that was really the role that I was tasked with. Um, and and how it came to be and how I came to Google to me, you know, and everybody says this, but I think, you know, it is so true. Um, it kind of fell out of the network that I built in my career right. prior. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I'd um man maintained relationships with colleagues from my earlier um, career paths at Kraft Foods, Mondelez, what have you, and some of those folks were now at Google, um, and so that's how I heard about the opportunity. Um, and you know, for many people, the word networking has a lot of kind of either anxiety tied to it, or right. Um, and so, so I would say my guidance for for your listeners is not necessarily to inauthentically try to network but be really thoughtful about the people you make general connections with throughout your career the people who can attest to your work and the caliber of, of what you bring to the table um, and then put some time and energy into maintaining relationships with those folks yeah. um, because it's certainly worked for me in terms of really being able to pivot throughout my career
2: yeah and I think we've mentioned that so many times like we always go back to this like that saying of your network is your net worth kind of thing. Yes. Um so That's a great way to put it. um yeah when we have those conversations it's not necessarily you need to know everyone everywhere no. it's really understanding and building those trust and relationships with a few individuals and and there's like it cascades network exactly. effects, right? So exactly. uh, that's what we want. I try to encourage people. It's not necessarily you have to be extroverted and know everyone kind of thing. So a uh, great way to obviously, you know, get in the role at Google. Um, for you, what makes it actually a special place, considering you've been there so long now? Uh, most people leave their roles, you know, like two to three years and go on, but you've been there for seven plus years now, right? Yeah. So what makes it so special?
0: Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that. It only dawned on me recently that I've been here for quite a while. We have yeah. a, internally we have a a website that'll show you what percent of the company is newer than you. So okay. all the employees. And I'm in the like ninety-sixth percentile of like tenured or aged employees.
2: Okay. So yeah. so
0: yeah, it's been a little while. Um, I think for me, uh Seven years in, I still feel really fortunate to work at this company. I think, you know, Google is an awesome place to work no matter how you slice it, whether you're, you know, enjoying a delicious lunch that was made for you very generously or um, just getting to work with really amazingly talented people from a plethora of backgrounds is one of my favorite things about the company. Um, Early in my career, it seemed that some of the companies I worked for were hiring within a box. So Mm. did you have these specific skills that we're looking for? Um, And what I love about Google is they're more interested in the, the the outside the box. (laughs) So what about your background um, or your career journey so far, or um, you know, your personal life makes you different and and ensures that what you're going to bring to the table is additive to the um, collective of the company. And so I think that just naturally rounds out a really um, fascinating group of employees doing fascinating work. Um, And so that for me would be probably my favorite part about the company. Um, But yeah, it's hard to pick just one thing.
2: Yeah, no, I I know it's a fantastic ecosystem. I have a couple of buddies, uh, but they're in SF. Yeah. So they're they're not local, but I guess now we're friends. So I have one local person that I know. Exactly. Uh, yeah, that's how everything starts, right? i exactly um, to the list. Yeah, in terms of uh, actually saying, you, you, you mentioned this concept of thinking outside the box. What sort of qualities and or skill sets um, do you kind of associate with that? Um, because a lot of people have their core technical skills. Yeah. But when we, we're talking about outside the box, people might get confused as to, What exactly that is and what Google or maybe some other, you know, tech forward company is actually looking at?
0: Yeah, that is a great question. Um, And and I'll go back to some of the tenants that we look for at Google when we are hiring, irrespective of role. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, you could be going into a software engineering role. You could be going into a sales focused role. And regardless of at the end of the day where you will live at Google, there's certain characteristics that we're always looking for across the board, and I think they they ladder back to this out of the box thinking idea. Mm-hmm. First is curiosity. Um, curious people tend to come up with great ideas and solutions to problems um, because they have this natural tendency to ask why in scenarios where you know some of us wouldn't. And we just kind of accept the status quo. Um, And so curiosity is a, a really, um, the undertone of kind of what one of the things we're looking for and the other is flexibility. Um, and so, you know, in a company that moves as quickly as Google or insert any other tech company, insert any startup, to be honest, um, one of the things you really need from your employees is this openness to pivot to where you're needed. Right. Um, and so, um, you know, some folks have spent their career building a really niche area of expertise and that is wonderful but if if you're looking for a commitment that you will always kind of work in this role in this capacity um google might not be the best company for you because what i love about um the company is the energy they put behind new and interesting opportunities um and so yeah we're ultimately at the end of the day looking for Um, that flexibility to know that somebody can thrive in the role they're hired into, and potentially um, a role that could come up that might be quite a bit different than that.
2: Yeah, it's really kind of saying, outside the box thinking, it's more extrapolating a problem and kind of having creative solutions to it. Exactly. So uh, one thing we always like to tell our audience is not necessarily, you have to be the most like, kind of, you didn't have to build a biggest solution in your old company, you can do like side hustles and kind of
0: yes. show
2: creativity <laughs> the right. other way. Uh, so I think people sometimes get confused with the narrative of like, I have to show experience only within my company. This is what the skill sets I've only learned. Maybe you didn't get the opportunity, but there's a lot of things that you can do outside, which show that creativity, that outside the box thinking.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. I captured that a lot. I, I used to do... Um... I used to oversee the co-op prep course at George Brown College. And there were a lot of students in in the digital marketing course that I was working on, um, you know, prepping their interview skills, their resumes um, for a co-op opportunity. And a lot of them didn't have traditional digital marketing experience. I I felt a little paralyzed, like what am I even going to put on this resume? Mm. But your point exactly, I think it's really important to think at your Broader set of work throughout life, yeah. um, and then put some legwork into extrapolating those skills. So, what are the skills that your prospective employer is looking for? And I guarantee you, if you um, unpack different tasks in life, whether it's you know being a camp counselor, a babysitter, what have you, there are core skills that most people, um, even early on in their their career, can bring to the table, and you totally. just have to put those pieces together for the person reading yeah.
2: Well said, well said. Um, so now kind of talking about your current role and how you've kind of made that shift over, what about that role actually appealed to you? How did you maybe, you know, figure out there was an opportunity uh, for the actual role to come about? Um, and why did you feel like you were a great fit for it?
0: Yeah, so... Um, what excited me about the role? Well, it didn't exist. So, so I'll take you a little bit on kind of my journey at Google, um, which which in hindsight feels a little serendipitous uh, in terms of how things worked out. But um, when I was working in that brand strategy focused roles, I was about three years in. Um, and one of the things I love about Google is um, they offer employees this notion of, and you may have heard of this, of a 20% project. And so yeah. you know, yeah. if you're if you're relatively tenured in your role, you've kind of mastered your day-to-day and what's expected of you, the company encourages us to kind of look around, um, tap you know other teams who may be completely outside of the remit of our day-to-day work, um, and invite us to kind of take on a side-of-the-desk project. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, on top of your day job. Um, but so, um, that it gives us the opportunity to kind of explore what's out there broader at Google. Um, since a lot of folks at Google tend to take less of a linear career path than you might in, in other types of companies. Um, and so that is exactly my experience. I, um, was doing a lot of work with large multinationals and multimillion dollar brands. Um, but I was more interested arguably in, um, well, what is that, you know, startup down the street who just successfully raised a series A doing and how are they thinking about um, building out their brand and and their go-to-market strategy. And so I took on a 20% project with um, a team at Google called Google for Startups. Um, I started to formally oversee our relationship with Communitech and some of the other ecosystem builders across Canada. Um, And all that to say, kind of a long meandering story short, um, that started to get the attention of some of our uh, startup-focused teams at Google to To say, Mm. oh, interesting. I I didn't realize Canada's startup ecosystem was thriving uh, so much. And so that ultimately led to a more full-time focused role opportunity um, that I raised my hand and and put put my name in the hat for. uh, And it all worked out. And to your last question, why did I think I would be a good fit? Yep, yep. I think uh, I certainly, like many of your listeners, I'm sure, suffer from imposter syndrome on any given yeah. day, and yep. so I wouldn't necessarily have said, you know, I this is my job. Um, but what I like about Google and what I trust about their process is they they put a lot of effort into making sure we put the right people with the right roles, and so I put my name in the hat for that, as did many other folks internally and externally, um, and then it was, you know, that panel of folks. Who made the decision, and who would be the best fit? So that gives you a bit more confidence going in that um, that you've got leadership across Google who is also betting on you being able to do the role justice.
2: Yeah, no, I, I think the journey that you've had is so awesome. Like, I, I think the company supporting you and trying to create your own opportunities, exploring those options, is invaluable. Like, there's mm-hmm. very, it's very rare to come across companies that give you that option yeah. to explore your skill sets and explore what you could be good at. Yeah. Um, so I think Google is very like awesome for doing that. And that's why we hear so many stories of like even, like say, ex-Googlers, or do you call them Nooglers? Um, Zooglers, I believe. Zooglers, yeah. sorry. There, yeah. there we are. Uh, <laughs> building awesome companies and doing great things. Uh, I think it's just the opportunity to explore, learn, and grow is kind of a construct of what Google's built within their ecosystem. And that's enabled you to have this role today. Um, one thing I actually want to double click on there is this idea of imposter syndrome. Um, so to you, what, how do you define it? And like, how have you been able to kind of say, challenge yourself to eliminate that thought in your mind of, you know, I'm not good enough. I can't do this. Or that person has that much experience. They're much better than me kind of thing.
0: Yeah, I would say, um, I've not mastered this, yeah. but I've gotten much better. Um, and I think it's, it's it's two things that are at play here. I think some of us just our personality naturally lends itself to have a bit more imposter syndrome than others. So there's that kind of inherent personality trait. But then there's also the situational reality. Mm. Um, you know, it's, fa- it's fascinating. What we see at Google a lot is zero to six months of a new employee or a new employer, yeah. as you put it people feel pretty confident. They got Mm. the job, they're ramping up, they're meeting people, you know, regardless of what their role is internally, externally, they're kind of getting into a groove. And then at this six month period, it seems like most people have a bit of an internal panic. (laughs) Okay. I don't, I don't know if I can do this Um, because you start to get kind of the inundation of all of the information we have available to Mm. us in our roles. Um, You know, expectations setting of kind of what you've accomplished so far and, and what, where we're headed. And also just the pace at which the company moves for many of us who came from more traditional industries, right? It's night and day. And mm. so, yeah, there seems to be this kind of critical impasse at six to nine months where people had a bunch of confidence and then they lost it. And I think um, two strategies I would encourage people to try first normalize this, talk about it. We don't all have to pretend we're hyper confident and the best at everything. And, you know, everything is up and to the right and going wonderfully. Um, And so I would say the impetus is both on the employee, like myself, but also on leadership across teams to have these conversations, check in with people. um, Because I think as long as we realize we're not the only ones, um, it's much easier to kind of get past those moments where you feel like maybe you don't have the skills you need to, to thrive or do the job. And then secondly, I would say, like, be kinder to yourself. I think we all need to get better at that. I mean, regardless of whether we're talking about Google or, you know, startup founders or whomever, we all have these moments where we doubt our ability to do the job we're tasked with um, and trust the the life path that got you to where you are. I mean, you know, I was hired out of a bunch of candidates, um, as were you, if you started a company, it's because you had an amazing idea that Mm -hmm. could add value to the world. And so I think, you know, in those moments, I try to just remind myself to be a little kinder to myself.
2: Yeah, yeah, I think sometimes we just, I think even in our generation, specifically, like uh, millennials, Gen Z, I think there's an expectation of success, just because it's so media glorified. Oh yeah, Uh, that's all we see like oh they raised like 100 million dollars or whatever like uh, I'm a 22 year old CEO of this company or whatever and I think it gets to you over time and I think it's just a constant feedback loop I'm saying I'm not good enough I'm not good enough but I think we need to really learn and just accept like you know it's okay to be normal sometimes Um, and I think people just don't realize that uh, that those are like outliers in some cases and like 99% of people are just like you in some sort of way.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and what's what's interesting is you know, you can talk you can talk to anyone in any role about this mm-hmm. topic, imposter syndrome, mm-hmm. and they will have an experience to share. So th- this actually is something everybody goes through and just a yeah. lot of folks don't talk about it.
2: Yeah. No, I think it's important to just share that discussion and open it up. So um, let's make the segue into the actual startup. Ecosystem now the actual accelerator accelerator program that Google is running. So, could you maybe uh, walk us through uh, what the uh, what the program actually is all about, and how are you guys focused on you know helping founders and pairing them with the right resources?
0: Absolutely. So, I'll I'll do a little bit of kind of I'll give a bit of history, and then I'll, yep. I'll talk about how we're activating North America and in Canada specifically. Um, so, our accelerator programs have been live and well um, as an element of Google's ecosystem efforts for startups since 2014. Uh, but the strategy originally was to support underserved markets, so markets that didn't necessarily have as thriving of a startup. Uh, ecosystem um, support system, if you will, whether that's, you know, venture yeah. funds, whether that's other accelerators and incubators. And so we actually didn't launch any accelerators in North America uh, until 2020. Okay. And the the reason was we wanted to make sure that we did it in a way that felt additive. Um to the amazing programs already being offered and not to just add kind of a redundant program that was very akin to what already existed. Um, And, and for myself, because I'd been doing kind of that 20% work with, you know, Communitech, the DMZ, Mars, um, you know, I I took that very seriously to make Mm -hmm. sure that our peers in the ecosystem felt positively about Google coming in and adding um, some programming. And so myself and Steve Woods, who headed up Google Canada Engineering Org Org until recently, um, we did a bit of a roadshow with some of our peers and collaborators across the ecosystem. And where we (laughs) netted out really is kind of two key points of difference for our accelerator program. Um, First, it is entirely google education. So our mentors, mm-hmm. our speakers, our advisors are almost all Google employees. Um, and so that's really something that you can't get elsewhere, um, yeah. even if you have participated in other accelerator programs. Um, and and secondly, we, tar- we are targeting startups slightly later stage than some of the other programs. Okay. So we're targeting ideally seed to series A stage startups um, from from a funding standpoint. We like them to have kind of a proven MVP since there are awesome programs who can help them get there already. Um, And one of the criteria that we are more strict on is um, we're looking for like teams who ideally have five or more employees. Mm. Um, And that's by design because we want to make sure that we're not kind of locking a solo founder in a virtual room for three months. Uh, But we actually encourage this to be kind of a full team training opportunity. And so we encourage handoffs. You know, if you have a growth lead, send them to the growth related content. If you have a CTO Mm. or even, you know, you know, more junior, um, technical team members send them to that respective content stream. And so, um, that's the logic there, um, in terms of how we launched in Canada um, and who were best able to, to work alongside, um, and to date, I'm very proud to say, you know, we started with one Canada cohort. And um, this year we have five cohorts open to Canadian founders. So we have two regional Canada programs. We have uh, North American Climate Change Accelerator. Mm-hmm. And we have upcoming um, yep. applications open until July 28th. Our third cohorts of our North American Women Founder and Black Founder cohorts.
2: Got it. Got it. So that's that's kind of the basis of the program, some of the history behind it. So let's just say, um, I want to apply to the most recent cohort. What are some of the, what's the process look like in terms of the application and, you know, what are some of the key qualities? Uh, you mentioned a couple kind of critical things, but what are some other key qualities that you're looking for uh, either in the founding team or as a company as a whole to be a part of the program?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, in terms of the application process itself, we've really tried to streamline this over the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. Um, I love feedback. Anyone who works with me or any of the startups who have participated know that feedback is a gift as far as I see it. And so, yeah. I think we started with a more robust application process that really was tedious for some founders to kind of fit into their day. And so we've really streamlined that into one wave of a very in-depth application. Um, and then from there, we do our shortlisting and we have a, a selection board of cross-functional senior team members from all across Google who okay. ultimately kind of hone in and make the decision on that final cohort. Um and so that's the, the application in terms of what we're looking for. We talked about some of the kind of table stakes um, uh, criteria, and, and I should preface that everything you read on the website, if you're looking at a program um, and thinking of applying is shades of gray. It's certainly not black and white. So I would yeah. encourage, you know, any founder who's considering applying and maybe doesn't make one of the criteria to still do so. Mm-hmm. Um the, you know, anyone who works with startups or in a startup knows it's never black and white. It's yeah, <laughs> so, sure. um, I would certainly encourage them to still apply. Um, but the the one thing that I would say folks often underestimate in their application, which becomes pretty critical in making those final decisions, is we ask how can Google help? Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, some, some folks don't really put much intention into their answer to that question, but what we really want to look at at the end of the day is, you know, what is the technology that underpins this company? What is their next phase of growth going to come from? And do we really think that Google mentorship and advisorship can really help um, expedite that phase of growth, unlock a problem, whatever it may be, we're really looking for the applicant to kind of bring that to life to us so that we can make sure that we can actually deliver on that outcome that they're looking for.
2: Got it. So as a founder, if I'm applying, uh, it's kind of encouraged to at least understand the Google ecosystem to understand like, hey, like, Maybe this segment of Google can help me kind of pair up with whatever we're doing. And this is how we're going to kind of grow with the combination of Google's help.
0: Exactly. So the folks, for example, who answer that question, which I see often Mm -hmm. when we say, how can Google help? some people will say with everything,
1: <laughs> but that's,
0: yeah. not, that's not entirely helpful for us. Right. The folks who will say as just one example of many, you know, we're looking to incorporate machine learning into our tech stack and to our behind back, behind the scenes operations. And we'd love Google mentorship and how to go about doing that. That's a really meaty example for us yep. to to really validate, oh, we can add value there.
2: Right. So um could you actually give us like maybe a, a company that recently went through a programs and perhaps where they are today? I, I have one in mind that usually I, I've seen on LinkedIn quite a bit. Uh I think it's called Paper Stack, if I'm not yes. mistaken.
0: Yeah. Um,
2: uh, are you able to maybe share a story about them and how they enter the program, where they're at today, and then you know, they've been quite successful. Um uh, just with all the media posts I've seen personally.
0: Absolutely. Um, Well, so I feel like I was going to say it's impossible to choose one, but you teed me up for one and then I'll give you another. So perfect. Um, Yes. So the paper stack team is wonderful. Co-founded team um, of new immigrants to Canada and they um, have built a company who's really looking to transform access to capital for, um, e-commerce SMBs. Um, and so to really remove some of the barriers of the early days when you're looking to, you know, start with advertising, start finding new customers. Um, and you're definitely not, you know, looking for, you know, a venture capital partner at this stage, but where do you get that affordable funding from? Mm -hmm. Um, and so not only are they adding a tremendous amount of value to Canadian SMBs, um, but they're also building an amazingly uh, successful company. Um, and so they, I had the pleasure of meeting them last year. Um, Asshole, one of the co-founders, uh, applied for our women founder, uh, North American program. And of course, like I mentioned before, because it is not a founder only program and we get to meet the full team. We also, mm-hmm. um, got to know Vadim, her co-founder over the tenure of the program. Um, and so I would say a few things stand out to me about their experience, um, they're wonderful at building momentum. So with the announcement of participating in the Google Accelerator, they're really great about... Um, uh, and put a lot of intention and energy into using that as a jumping off point for yep. other interviews, PR opportunities, press coverage, which we all know is really important in the early yep. days of gaining, you know, visibility and credibility for your company. Um, they then got into a tech stars cohort um, shortly thereafter. And so um, they really were able to build momentum quickly for their company. And another thing that stands out to me is, um, they'd listen to customer feedback and make pivots mm-hmm. quickly. And yeah. so, you know, the the three sentence kind of like summation of their company that we asked them for at the beginning of the program was quite different from from how they would describe themselves in three sentences at the end. Um, and I think for early stage founders that's really important as yep. you're still kind of crystallizing what your offering is. Um, and so yeah, they they are doing tremendously well. Very excited for them. And then I might mention one other company. Yeah,
2: absolutely. That's yeah,
0: yeah. Um, namely, because I've been emailing the founder lately, and so she's very top of mind for me. But uh, another one would be Tenjiva. So they okay. are a Montreal... Have you heard of them?
2: No, I haven't.
0: So they're a Montreal-based company. Um, First of its kind digital platform that's enabling real-time supply chain in the textile industry. Okay. So really taking, and Andy Sire, the founder, has worked in you know, the fashion industry for um, many years and really saw a huge pain point in an industry that had seen no change, no disruption not even really any technology Um, and then really building a solution that is a win-win-win for everybody because it's saving time saving energy saving money um, opening access to new customers for vendors and so um, the work that she's doing is awesome they presented at our virtual demo day at the end of last year, um, okay. and then used that as a jumping-off point to successfully raise a five million dollars seed round that they recently announced. And so, a ton of great traction out of that team, also.
2: That's very impressive. And uh, speaking of textiles, like my uncle has a, a textile company, but in the UK, yeah. so I'm very familiar with like the mundane process and like kind of the old school kind of vibes that you know the whole infrastructure is that it takes like Uh,
0: months and months yeah yeah and
2: and it's just like (laughs) super confusing I didn't bother like really learning the business just because like I was like one I'm not really into textiles or whatever but two it's just like guys it's so like manual. Like yes. they still use like a lot of paper stuff and we'll whatever. we have whatever. to
0: introduce them to answer. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So they're, they're, they're pretty big in the UK, but uh, that'd be interesting if we can ever set that up. Um, okay. Uh, I mean, one thing I think uh, accelerators or any kind of innovation program uh, has to have is a great community Yes, behind it. So what the first question is how do you define a great community And second part of that is like, why do you feel Google, um, you know, kind of separates itself from say others in the sense that, you know, we're more it's aiding founders to get to that next stage of development.
0: Yeah. I think that's a great question. Um, personally to answer the first part of your question on what makes a great community, For me, I think the most powerful communities are the ones that form naturally, Mm. Um, you know, based on a a group's collective passions, interests, areas of expertise, um, need state. You know, there's many reasons for a kind of a natural community to build. Um, But I think, yeah, it has to come from the center. It has to feel authentic. Um, And for me, it's been honestly just an honor to be able to be participating in building mm. um, this uh, connection between Google and the founders and startup teams across the yep. country, I would say not only do, I think my expectation and overseeing this program and launching our accelerator cohorts, I assumed that the founders uh, and startup team members would build a natural community, and they have, and it's amazing to witness. And I just love seeing them all champion one another and, um, and, and really kind of learn from their like experiences and, and build each other up. But what I was not expecting necessarily, and have been so energized by, was the community within Google Right of Google employees wanting to mentor these startups Mm, to lend their time, passion, expertise um, to our programs. You know, over the last three years, we've built this um, internal community. We've we've dubbed Googlers for startups, and so this has become you know five hundred plus Google employees who've raised their hand to say, "Here are my areas of expertise. I would love to mentor startups in some capacity." Um, And and it's it's really just a testament to the generosity of folks across the country because this has, or the company rather, because it has yeah. nothing to do with their day job. Um, but they're, you know, lending a ton of time and expertise to to my program and I could not do my job without them. So I would say that's another um, community that we've kind of stumbled upon as we've yep. flushed out and built out these programs. Um, and it's really energizing to see you know, these Googlers will come to me and say, thank you for letting me participate, which I always chuckle because I honestly can't do my job without them. And so, yeah, um, yeah, I would say I've been really lucky in this role to kind of have stumbled across two really ripe and rich communities um, that honestly give me a ton of energy to keep doing what we're doing. Yeah, kind
2: of like a full circle moment for you in, in the sense that, you know, you had a vision, now it's kind of actually panning out and you're actually foreseeing it. With that, it's perfect segue into what is the future vision for the Google Accelerator program and what does it look like and how does it continue to evolve?
0: Yeah, I would say to oversimplify, you know... The vision that we have is is to constantly evolve to the needs of the Canadian startup ecosystem, and mm-hmm. um, to not really kind of get too comfortable with uh, you know any existing programming or or what we think the ecosystem needs. And so, um, when we started, as an example, we offered one regional program, so a, a national accelerator, yep. Google for Startups accelerator for founders across the country. Um, from there, we saw a very crystal clear need to stand up programs in support of underrepresented founder groups which yep. is where um, the genesis for our women and Black Founders programs uh, came from. And this is something we'll continue to do, um, to mm. continue to evaluate the ecosystem. And that could be specific founder groups, that could be specific verticals or industries, could be specific regions. You know, we really just want to make sure that we are adding value right. on going to where Canadian founders and startup teams need us.
2: Yeah. And then speaking about women in tech specifically, um, you know, I've personally seen uh, an evolution and more involvement by women uh, in the tech space, which is very encouraging because, you know, it's pretty homogenous mm-hmm. in many kind of departments and, you know, areas. Um, so from your perspective, what changes have you personally seen um, in recent years that have encouraged that participation of more women in tech and maybe even perhaps correlate that to your current environment at Google and maybe the cohorts in in and of itself, with more
0: female founders. Yeah, I think, so I agree. I think, I think the good news is that there's been a real effort to kind of draw attention in tech to,
2: um,
0: you know, legacy, just kind of the gender disparity that naturally exists. Um, and I would say even more importantly to the lack of women leaders, when we looked across kind of tech companies and, and the tech ecosystem. And I, I feel this palpable mindset shift to acknowledge that, you know, that's a real problem, Mm um, and, and also not what's in the best interest for society. Um, right. And so um, I think I'm, I'm totally aligned that there's this kind of cumulative acknowledgement that we all need to do better here um, from, from an accelerator standpoint um, you know, I feel like each cohort is a mini family I've built and I've I've never picked favorites, but what I can attest to is there is something, there's like a nugget of something special that comes out of the Women Founder cohort every year. Um, And I think that community bond we chatted about is just a little tighter, I think. Yeah,
2: I, I, Um, I I can agree with that, yeah.
0: Yeah, I think, you know there's an acknowledgement that many of the rooms whether in person or virtual that these founders find themselves in they are um the minority and Mm. so all of a sudden to find themselves in a room with you know like peers is really energizing and and there's this really palpable desire to see one another succeed um and months years after the close of the program i'll still see on linkedin them all you know commenting on each other's accomplishments and new news and so um yeah that community bond i would say is what stands out to me most in terms of the the women founder cohort.
2: Yeah, and I think you mentioned something very important is just having that, um, you know, that visibility into like there's someone actually being within that role. Yeah. Very important and critical. Uh, One, it allows you to be more confident and actually visualize yourself kind of being there. And I guess the support from the community from a, a female and women in tech perspective is, you know, they all have some sort of like, enabled confidence. Now I'd say like, I'm in an environment where all these women are, you know, maybe face the same challenges as me, but now we're all kind of going after the same kind of, you know, angle in terms of building a company, doing something great. Right. So I think that's, that's great. And I love that you're encouraging those kind of things. So, um, I think we've talked a bit about like, say the women in tech part and then Google accelerator and stuff like that. What I'd love your thoughts on Is kind of the future of tech so more kind of agnostic i love your thoughts on where things are going so uh in your opinion what industry or technology do you feel like within the next five to ten years will have the most significant impact and why
0: oh i love that question um and i should preface like this is now becoming very much an Ashley answer, not on yeah. Google. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: this is not like a stock recommendation, but um, I would say for me from a technology standpoint first, uh, and this would not be a surprise, but I think I'm really energized by companies I see using artificial intelligence or machine learning to resolve pain points. And I think mm-hmm. Annie's company, Tanjiva, that we chatted about is a great example of that. But I think um, the companies who are taking a really obvious use case of a pain point that we've all just kind of accepted for years and and looking at optimizing, transforming, whether that's a user experience, a back-end process. To me, I think those are the companies that I immediately get excited about, whether I'm reading an application or meeting them in person. Um, From an industry standpoint, i personally am most energized by startups in the clean tech and health tech spaces yep okay i think um, you know it goes without saying that our planet and our society are at a tipping point or have been in the last couple of years in both of these spaces and i'm really bullish and confident that the next generation of founders is going to make some of the biggest inroads we've seen you know in a short time period versus kind of, um, you know, the, the lack of innovation there we've seen over the last 20, 30 years. And so I think personally, when we look at opportunities um, to support the planet and to support our healthcare systems are where I get really excited by um, technology as the solution.
2: Yeah, for me personally, it's AI as well. I've had that conversation many times, kind of going to that loophole. Not AI in the sense that, you know, there's a conscient, conscious, sentient kind of thing, but yeah. uh, just AI in general, in terms of data and all that kind of stuff. And exactly. then from a health side of things, I think it's really interesting to see where we're going to get in the next five to 10 years, uh, just the evolution of, you know, other technologies to help us from a health perspective, but also from an perspective. Uh, system perspective in terms of efficiency, which
0: Absolutely. currently
2: we are horrible at. So, um, <laughs> you know, hopefully there's a lot coming out, uh, a lot new founders building great technology. Um, you know, another thing that I like to associate in trying to learn from are professionals, um, you know, who have an audience who have maybe our thought leaders in specific industries, who would you maybe encourage, um, you know, our listeners to give a follow, maybe, to keep up to date with all things, uh, tech and innovation. Like who are your go-to individuals for some thought leadership knowledge and stuff like that?
0: Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm just going to use this as a great pivot. I would, I would follow founders. I mean, I think for, for me and I'm very biased, um, but the most exciting, not only just updates, but also, thought-provoking prompts Mm. that, for example, I get, I see on my LinkedIn newsfeed, uh, come from a lot of the founders that I've had the opportunity to work with. Um, so whether that's the paper stack team, whether that's the Tenjiva team, I could go on and on with a bunch of, uh, companies and founders and I'm happy to, to share, um, a bunch of recommendations, but, um, you know, I think for me, our next generation, you know, scale up tech founders across Canada um, really have the best pulse on kind of what this country needs, how technology can solve it. Um, how to treat employees and build a strong culture. Right. Um, I'm thinking of Catherine Renier, who, uh, is the founder of coconut software. Um, you know, has already launched a four day work week with her team. They were in yep. our accelerator cohort in 2020 last year, they pivoted to four day work week and she's, you know, been very vocal about their productivity's never been better and they will not go back. And so, um, I don't think we need to look to the tech billionaires for a great pulse on on uh w- new ways to think about how to build a company um how to build a team. I think we've got a ton of thought leaders right here in Canada.
2: yeah no that's an amazing uh kind of perspective. I think it's so important to they they always have those type of conversations, those like very interesting conversations and so if I were to say wanting to you know chat with the founder. What would your recommendation be to say, how do I reach out to that person? Maybe try to build a connection with that person. Um, you know, we're in the ecosystem, so we might have a network uh, available to us. For someone who's just starting off, how do I get connected into the space?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So um, draw a linkage point. So um, I'm sure you get the same. I get a lot of LinkedIn inbounds. Yeah. I think that's how you and I first connect. yeah yeah yeah. Um, and so the the folks who give kind of a copy paste, like here's a bit about me. Here's what I'm looking to accomplish are the ones that, to be honest, in any given moment, especially you know, if it's a very busy day, it's a bit easier to you know just kind of, forget about yeah. and, and wind up not responding to, the ones who draw a linkage point of some authentic connection, whether that's doing a bit of due diligence on your background and finding something similar there, whether that's looking at mutual connections. Um, at the end of the day, I think a lot of folks just need to A, bridge the gap. Yeah. So so why would this connection be meaningful? Um and then B, not just what's in it for you, but what's in it for the other for person. Yeah. Um, and I think uh, a lot of people miss that, but um, certainly we're all busy people, um, you know, and if you can really kind of try to draw a picture of mutual um, benefit, it's it's really hard to say no. <laughs> yes, so exactly. I think mean, those are the times where where the connections, the really fruitful ones are made.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I think just first principles thinking like at the core of any relationship is trust. Yeah. And so if you have, you know, a warm interest is usually the easiest way. Yes. That's why I always encourage it, individuals that come to me and say, do you have a warm interest to that person? Like maybe exactly. someone's connected. Easiest yeah. way. If it's a cold one, um, try to relate Say, hey, I like listen to your podcast or I love your thoughts on this. Exactly. You know, it's something you're connecting with the person like, okay, I understand who you are. Yeah, This is maybe what I want to learn from you and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, I've had tons of those conversations where, you know, people just say, hey, like, let's talk. That's not going to work. <laughs> yeah. It yeah. just doesn't work. Like, I think you need to be a bit more creative in terms of getting something slotted with such busy individuals. Yeah. Founders literally have little to no time.
0: Negative uh, time. In most yes.
2: Exactly. Right. <laughs> so that's one thing I always tell people, like, please consider, like, ultimately understand who you're trying to reach out to. Um yeah, it's yeah. not as simple as they'll reply to my LinkedIn message and all is you know
0: great kind of exactly, thing. exactly. Yeah. And I think to, your point's really important there. People don't want to ignore those, mm-hmm. you know, cold call messages. But I mean, at the end of the day, the reality of the world we live in is that we're not, you know, seeing our, you know, very close friends or our family members very often. So and so if you're asking somebody, and I do this myself to take 30 minutes of their day for you, then then respect that because it's a choice and it's time Absolutely. they're not putting towards something else. And so just make sure that um, you're being thoughtful about how you're going to use that time.
2: Exactly. Always be prepared, understand kind of core of the relationship that you're trying to build and go from there, right? <laughs> it's going to take... The other thing I also say is like, don't immediately ask for your ask. Yes. Build that re- relation yeah. first. Yeah. And then maybe after like, couple sessions where you're actually friends or whatever go for it exactly Um, Exactly. okay so that's enough about like say the work side i want to maybe get into more the personal side of like you know what does ashley do outside of work and how does (laughs) she kind of de-stress herself because we know working in tech can be stressful of course and so what's your number one way to manage your mental health and say physical health
0: yeah, I would say, I mean, yeah, those in tech probably feel stressed out and inundated. Those in other industries, likewise, I think I'm not the poster child for yes. having mastered a life of Zen. But um, particularly in the last few years, I would say this is something I put more proactive intention into. And so a mm-hmm. couple of things, um, a couple of strategies that I deploy now that work really well for me. Yep. First, I am unapologetic about fitting the things that I need to do for myself into my my day and they're visible on my work calendar. Okay. Um, And so that's not just visible to me. That's visible to my peers, my manager, leadership on my team. Um, And that could look like typically most days I try to carve out nine to 10 as like heads down work time because that's when I'm at my sharpest most days. Um, I try to take my dogs for a walk at lunchtime. If I'm working from home, that's in my calendar. If I'm you know doing an F45 class or a yoga class in the evening, that's in my calendar. And so that's helpful for me in two ways. One, expectation setting. My yeah. team can see that these are important priorities for me. And if you just have like a do not book, I don't know. In my experience, people will still book over that.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I would have that If <laughs> you to, tell yeah. them, you
0: show them honestly what you're doing with that time. You know, I have very rarely had somebody book over like I'm walking my dogs for yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. a meeting at least without saying, hey, this is pretty urgent. Can we can we cart? Right. Out time? Yeah, yeah. And so – um that's one I'm an open book about how I'm spending my my time and that seems to work for me and also to hold myself accountable to make yep. sure I am doing those things they're on the calendar um and then the second thing that i um have have really seen as a personal philosophy kind of transform my energy levels at the end of the day is doing this mental exercise about having a really solid understanding of the types of tasks and meetings that give you energy yeah the types yeah, yeah. of and meetings that deplete your energy and being really thoughtful then about how you stack your day and set yourself up for success Um, because it's inevitable. And we all give and lose energy to different things. But I used to just kind of fall victim to what was on my calendar and, and what that looks like is sometimes like eight back-to-back meetings, all pretty draining on your energy, for and sure. then you have no you know motivation to do anything at the close of your workday. Um, and so I pretty much close every day and every week looking ahead, and I'll move things <laughs> in yeah. the best interest of my, my energy. Um, and it works really well for me um, to just be a little bit more thoughtful about how I'm structuring my day.
2: Yeah. And I think it's always really important to prioritize yourself. Like it's very important. People forget about that. Um, Like to your point, like the whole calendar thing, I'm very like kind of visible on that now. It's just like, these things give me energy. These don't. Yeah. So I've started a process of slowly trying to eliminate the stuff. um,
0: That's a good, that's a good next call. Yeah.
2: Just eliminate it. Um, Like I've, I've tried to do a bunch of things where it at least frees up more of my time in a more like fruitful throughout yeah. the day um and yeah so now it's just like a lot of my days just like startup focus which completely gives me like energy all the yeah. time kind of thing some of the other side things I was doing is like oh I have to do this kind of thing so it's just like yeah I just eliminated it prioritizing my time learning how what kind of makes me tick yes um, and I think that's important and it feeds into a bunch of the other things of mental health and feeling good and all that kind of stuff. Absolutely. So um, that's important. Um, and so last question here, more philosophical, of course, but how do you define success for yourself?
0: Oh, yeah, that's a that is a good question. Yeah. Um, I think. Yeah, this is a good one. So I think for me, there's not an answer to this, but I'll explain why mm. I think it's ever evolving for me Um, and I'll give you an example. So um, my husband and I have a longstanding tradition to write out goals for the year on January 1st, everywhere. Okay, yeah. You know, even if we're a little hungover, even if if we're tired, it's something we've been doing for the past decade. And um, I find that exercise and that almost ritual that we've created to be really grounding um, and to be a positive way to kick off a new year by kind of acknowledging What does success look like exactly one year from now? And what are we hoping? What new skills do we want? And what in our personal life do we want to carve Mm -hmm. out time for? Um, Where do we want to travel to? What are our professional goals? Um, And so, um, yeah, it might it might sound (laughs) a little bit of a boring way to spend January first, but for me, I think it, it it answers your question in the sense that it's an ever evolving journey. But I think. I'm a person who's looking for continual learning and you know continual growth. Um, and it's really easy to kind of just fall into the status quo, your current role. And so I, I try to uh, carve out that, definition of success on an annual basis. Um, and, and it really helps give you kind of a fresh perspective, a bit, a bit more of kind of a a hopeful look to the year ahead, um, and, and give yourself some goals to strive towards.
2: Yeah, no, that's awesome. I think I'm very much the same continually learning. It's ever evolving. There's no set definition I have around success. I think one of the things core to me is, have I taken some sort of risk to enable me to get Mm, somewhere yeah, it's, uh, I, I feel like a lot of complacency for at least for me personally, is mm-hmm. like something I usually draw back on and saying, that's not going to allow me to hit some goals, yeah. or ever evolving in terms of growing learning and stuff. So where's my kind of set risk area in terms of what that. I'm doing? Yeah. Um, so uh, that's something I've learned recently. Like prior to I was just like trying to Map out what I was doing in life and all those kind of things, but now I'm trying to focus on like a few core areas. Let's take and enable some risks, and from there, things might not work. Things will work. Who knows? But you know, it's all a learning experience. Life is a learning experience. That's how I define success for myself.
0: I love it. We yeah. a lot of a lot of folks at Google often repeat um, the theme: we should be uncomfortably excited with our plans. And that really resonates with me. So um, I think that's a good distillation of of how you just described your philosophy.
2: Awesome. Awesome. So Ashley, that's the bulk of the podcast. Um, You know, one thing we always like to do is how do we reach out to maybe Ashley? How do we reach out to someone at the Google Accelerator program? And you know, any last thoughts you have for our audience?
0: Yeah, I love it. So please don't hesitate to reach out to me directly. Like I mentioned, I'm always checking out those LinkedIn messages. Uh, The more specific you can be in terms of your ask and how I can help, the better. Uh, But Ashley Francisco, you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, That's probably the best way to ask, you know, to connect with me, but also to ask any questions that your listeners might have specific to the accelerators or any other programs that we're running. Um, And then the advice I would give to close yeah stay excited do something that's energizing you um, and and don't be overwhelmed by having you know big goals that's what the world Mm -hmm. needs and so um i hope i hope your listeners got a bit of fruitful advice out of our conversation today
2: yeah no awesome thank you so much ashley for being a part of this and uh yeah we'll look forward to maybe a few conversations down the road and maybe who knows the founders applying to the program as well
0: yes sounds good thank you